Some of y'all are about to graduate. Anybody in here graduating this year? Like in May, May 13th, you're done? Let's give it up. I, okay, I was thinking about graduation and some of y'all are in the middle of these projects. You are in the middle of this test. You are in the middle... But it's stressful right now, and it's why it means so much to us that you would still carve out just an hour, hour 15 on a Tuesday night to press in. And so we are glad you're here, but you were stressed. Let's be honest. There's papers due, that syllabus that we got early on. It's all come and due now, and it's a lot. But there is going to come a moment where it's all over, Right? Like you're gonna be like some of these and some of these are trying to finish up and graduate in a couple weeks. It's about to be like over. And I remember when I graduated and it was like graduation day and there was this like sneaking suspicion in me, y'all. I was like, man, I feel like a professor's gonna come grab me or be like, hey, uh, actually you still owe us a class. You know, like I didn't know. I was just like, man, get me that diploma. Get me out of here. But I was just like worried that there was like, uh, actually there was two classes you missed or this credit or you had a C here and you got to redo. I didn't know. I just was like, oh, I hope I make it. Uh, Cause I was not graduating summa cum nothing, right? Like I didn't have, I didn't have the like Home Depot cords or not Home Depot, Hobby Lobby cords, whatever y'all have, the curtain cords. I thought about going and getting some though. That would've been cool. You should do that. Some of you are graduating. Just like, just deck yourself out. Be like, these orange ones? Yeah, it means something you, you don't even know. Uh, but I was just like hoping to graduate. And I was like, man, maybe the finance office is gonna come and be like, you still owe money on your balance. We're not gonna release your transcript. I didn't know, y'all. I was just nervous. I don't know if anybody else is. But I was like, but the moment they called my name and I'm a P, Patterson, so it took a while, but they got to me, y'all, and they called my name, and I come up across the stage quick, right? I'm not playing around. I'm like, give me that diploma, and, and they give it to me, and, and I'm thinking right in that moment, do I do something crazy here? I should do something crazy because it's over now. I didn't. I didn't. Y'all are like, oh, God, what's this story? No, no, no. It was nothing. I didn't, uh, but you think about it in that moment because you're like, what does it matter now? You gave me the diploma. This thing's over. I'm a college graduate. It's done. And really, as I walked off the stage, that was my thought. Like that season is over. That reality of going to school at Hardin-Simmons in Abilene is done. And I'm moving into something new. And there are these moments in our life where you really don't go back. I don't go back to Hardin Simmons and try to get another undergrad. And I could like do more school. And I end up getting my master's and all that. That doesn't work with my analogy. So just hang with me. What I'm saying is, once you graduate and you get that undergrad degree, do you have to go do anything to add to that degree? No, you can add on top of it, but that degree's done and we're finished. And there's other things that have happened in my life that will happen in your life where there's this moment and all of a sudden the reality is different. When I got married, it was a moment. We're on stage, I say I do, I'm hoping she does. You know, she says I do, I don't know how, power of prayer guys, just keep praying. but. She says, I do, and it's like, you know, I, I did when we kissed, though, on this uh, claim to fame. I did dip my bride and kissed her, of which my in-laws were not happy about, uh, said I was disrespectful, but, you know, whatever. It's my wedding, all right? Well, it's my wife's wedding. She was cool with it. But I had this moment, right? And once we say, I do, it's, it's over. I am no longer single. I'm not a bachelor. I'm not going back to that. I'm not like, hey, in a week, you know, if it's, I'll just jump back into this and then come be. No, it's like, it's a defining reality shaping moment. When I had a kid, y'all, that's, that's later for a lot of you. Um, you know, wait on that deal. I'm just saying, I'm going to give you that piece of advice. That wasn't our marriage thing, but you know, just be married for a little bit before you have kids. If you can, you know, like that's, that's a good thing. But when you have a kid, it is like life altering, changing. 
And what we find at the end of Jesus' life is he says a couple of things because he wants all of you to understand the significance of what just happened. That a moment just happened, y'all, and everything is different now. Everything changes. So if you've got a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter 19. John 19. Yes. Love the Bible here. John 19. And what I want to talk about tonight is the gospel. And so many of us know the good news of Jesus. When I say gospel tonight, if you're new to faith, um, tonight they're going to be a little bit more Christian-y words, but I'm going to try my best to always explain. Because we're going to kind of dive into the depths of what this whole narrative of the Bible is all about tonight. And it's going to be a review for so many believers in here. But my prayer tonight for all of you who are walking with Jesus, you know the Bible, you know the gospel, that there would be another renewed sense of awe in the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. But there may be some of you tonight that you actually don't know what this is all about. Like you know a little bit about the Bible and there's some rules and there's some books and there's all these different random stories. Um, But the reality is it's all one big narrative. And we're going to talk through that. But before uh, I get to that, we're, we're going to go to John 19 and we're going to hear the end or the climactic moment of the scriptures. And then we'll go back and see why it matters. Okay. So uh, John 19, he's on the cross at this point, And uh, we're going to start in 28 and, uh, and read through 30. Okay. Now, don't be thrown by this first part, but I just wanted to give you the context. But here's what it says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was finished, he says to fulfill the scriptures, I thirst. Now, that's not the the words I'm trying to hone in on tonight, but I just want you to get the context. But it's part of the scripture being fulfilled because he's fulfilled over 600 prophecies. Some say up to 800. I think it was like 600, though. Uh, 600 different prophecies about him in this moment. It's the craziest thing if you look into all the things that have been promised all through scripture about Jesus, and he's fulfilling that one and that one. And it said this about him. So here's another one. He says, I thirst, and in verse 29, a jar full of sour wine stood there so that uh, they put a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch. Real fast, just bookmark hyssop. It's actually important. Uh, John doesn't just throw stuff in randomly. Like you'll see what I'm talking about in a minute, but a hyssop branch, that's important. And he holds it to his mouth. And when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And once he says this, once he says it is finished, it says he bows his head and he gives up his spirit. It is finished. Now that's three words for us, but in the Greek, this word is tetelestai. It's one word. And the word in the Greek is kind of, uh, it's kind of used in commercial exchange. Um, it's a word that would have been printed on a lot of receipts. If you owed a tax bill, um, actually some papyrus has been found in this day, in Jesus' day. And it's literally a tax bill. And it says tetelestai, like paid in full, complete, finished. This bill is over. But to tell us that is this word of completion, of fulfillment. And I love so much what, uh, what was it? R.C., uh, he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. R.C. Sproul, he says this. When there was nothing left for Jesus to do, nothing that he needed to add, nothing more to be done, Jesus simply yielded his spirit. It says that it is finished and he bows his head and he gave up his Spirit, it reminds me of John 10, 17, where he says, no one takes my life from me. I freely give it. And we see that played out right here. He is, he is giving of his life. Now, why does this matter? 
And, and like I said, um, I'm going to kind of do a quick history lesson because what we just did is we just jumped into like hour two of a movie, saw this moment. It's like, oh, like a guy's on a cross. I don't know how he got there. I don't know what's going on. And then he's declaring it's finished. I don't even know what he's talking about. Maybe like his life's over. Yeah, that makes sense. He's, it's about to be finished. You can kind of tell. Um, but there's so much context to this. There's so much going on that I want to tell you just real quick the story arc of the Bible. Like I said, it's all a big story. And it starts with Genesis 1, Genesis being the beginning and how God creates the world, right? And he creates this amazing thing. And it's out of his own love and goodness that he creates a world, creates humans that he wants to share himself with, that, that it would be for his glory that he creates us according to Isaiah 43, 7. It says that we were created for the glory of God. But it's also for our enjoyment because he is the fullness of goodness. God is love. So he, he, he creates humans so that he can pour out his love in this perfect world. And he creates all these things and he just gives humans this charge. Like I want you to take the raw materials that I made and then with me, I want, I want us to, to manage a garden together. Like we're going we're gonna to do a garden, right? And I want you to name the animals and stuff and all this stuff I created, right? And so then what happens? We all know what happens. Very quick, we're only in chapter three of the entire Bible. And at this point, there is an adversary. And this adversary, the devil, that's, his, that's what his name means, who is the father of lies. Um, he comes in and he gives Adam and Eve this lie. And the lie is that God is withholding something from you, something good. He's not to be trusted. And you actually can be just like him. You can be a God. And this is the same lie that plays out in all of our lives in so many different ways. I don't know, God. I don't know about your rules. I don't know about the Bible. It seems like that's withholding fun for me or good for me. And I don't even know if I need the Bible, all this Christianity stuff. Like it seems like a crutch for everyone else. Um, I'm doing pretty good on my own. I don't need God. And, and that's what's played out. And so it says that through that decision, sin comes into the world and it's broken and there is brokenness. So this is the world as God created it in his design. And then there is distrust and a lie and sin where they chose willingly to disobey what God said. God said, do this and, the, and I want you to eat from thousands and there's probably hundreds of thousands of trees. Just don't eat from this one. I'm gonna give you one restriction so that you can be under me because that's how we were created is to fall under the authority of God. No, I don't want that. And so what happens is there's brokenness. I hope y'all can see this. Uh, if not, it's cool. Brokenness. And so God puts this hunger in, in us to have relationship with him. And there's a, an, just this thing inside all of us that aches for eternal things. It's why the things of this world are never enough. They never satisfy, but people still try and they run after money and they run after sex or pleasure and they run after success and career. Like would something fulfill me? But the Bible talks all about this and says the only thing the only thing that can fulfill you is a restored relationship with Jesus. And so God sins. Well, that's supposed to be a cross, not a, I don't know what that is. That's a cross there. That's, that's great. He sends Jesus to restore relationship back into God's original design. And it's this story of redemption. Now in this story, I do want to tell you about a couple keys. All right. First off, when God decides to create a nation through Abram, as he's old man, he's 100 years old, right? And he's like, hey, I know you don't have any kids and you're like 100, but I'm gonna create a nation as many as the stars through you. And I've just chosen you, not because you're awesome, not because you're amazing, I just, because I chose you. And Abram believes God. He's like, okay, I know I'm 100, no kids, but I believe you. 
I believe what you've said. And it says that God credits him righteousness for believing. Belief is this theme in the Bible, all throughout the Bible, that astonishes Jesus, that amazes God. He is really about this, that you and I would trust him, even when it doesn't seem right, doesn't seem like that's the right way to go, that we would trust what he says. And so God does. He builds this nation through him, and there's more stories there. But we finally get to uh, Egypt, because there's a famine and he uses Joseph, one of the sons, and they save Israel. And y'all remember this in the dating series. I don't talk too much about Egypt and what happened, right? And so they're in Egypt and they're in slavery. And then God's going to rescue them out of slavery and send them to the promised land. But what happens is the Exodus. And it's very, very important to what Jesus is referring to in John. Okay. And so here's what happens, y'all. Some of y'all know this. Some of you are new to faith. Um, but God's going, okay, y'all are in slavery to Pharaoh and I'm going to deliver a million people, it, so many people. This is not like I'm gonna get like a hundred of y'all out of here. It's like a million people, I'm moving them out. I'm, gonna, I'm going to deliver you through my, my man, Moses. And so what happens, right, is God, uh, they have this talk with Pharaoh. He's not interested. They send the plagues. Do you remember this? They send these plagues and they go through nine plagues and they're crazy, water turning to blood. There's gnats everywhere, frogs. Like some of these, if you read it, I'm like, is that really that bad? But I... The frogs one would have been, I, I don't do well with that. Uh, and the gnats, like, man, I don't know. Dude, some of those I'm like, and then there's darkness. It was a lot. But it gets to the last plague. Some of y'all know this, but this is very, very significant. And on the last plague, what happens is God's gonna pour out his judgment on Egypt. Um, by the way, we're all guilty. We're all deserving of judgment. God's withholding it. But in this moment, he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna judge um, they deserve death, and we'll get to why that is in just a second. But what happens is God's saying, I'm going to kill the firstborn of everyone in Egypt. Firstborn. If you're a firstborn in here, like raise your hand. Firstborn sons, though, I guess. So the, the girls are off the hook. But these were the sons. These were the heirs. This was the family line. You're a firstborn son. You're a goner. Okay, no, not really. And so what he tells his people, if you remember this, he says, but if you will take a pure spotless lamb, and you will sacrifice it. And you will take hyssop and dip it in blood and spread it over your doorpost. I will pass over you. My judgment will pass over you. For anyone that the lamb and the blood covers your household, I will pass over. Some of you know this story. And so God's saying this, and he is setting this up from day one. I am a perfect holy God who demands perfect holiness within my presence. And none of y'all can do this. And so I'm creating a way. And so he sets up the sacrificial system, but it was always a shadow to point to something else. And so all through the scriptures, it's pointing to the fact that there's gonna be one day when someone's gonna come and they are gonna be the last sacrifice, but we need someone who's perfect. We need someone who doesn't sin, a perfect sacrifice to come in and take our place, just like the lamb took that family's place, took the death that the firstborn should have had. And it says that it have to be a perfect sacrifice. For without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Now, the big problem with this, as we all know, is no one's perfect, right? This is bad news, y'all. The bad news for you and me and all of us, as the Bible would say it, is there's no one that can make it to heaven by being good. In fact, in Romans 3, 23, it says that the wages of sin, or I'm sorry, that all of us have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, all of us have sinned. All of us are cursed through Adam to have sin in our lives, to have natural rebellion. 
And God's presence demands perfection. And so we need a sacrifice and there's no one who can do this. The, the goats, the lamb, you can read all this in Hebrews. It was never gonna be enough to take away our sin. But through the scriptures over and over, these promises, these prophecies that there would be one and what God does is God sends his own son. In fact, God is the only one who can be perfect, but God cannot die. And so what God does is he clothes himself in humanity. He steps off the throne because he wants relationship with you and you and you and me. And he knows that we're separated for our sin and he's just, and he's not gonna overlook it. He's not gonna wink at your sin. Your sin matters, but he's the God who wants to deal with it. And so he clothes himself in humanity. He steps into humanity. Fully God, fully man. And he lives the life that you and I could never live. Perfect. He's out in the wilderness being tempted, facing Satan himself down. And he withstands without sin. Tempted without sin. And he brings this new kingdom, this new thing. And it says that finally he lives through this life and that the Bible's gonna say he's gonna be the one that's gonna stand in and take the judgment you and I have coming for us because the wages of sin, if you have sin in your life, the punishment of that is death, Romans 6. And so when Jesus is on the cross and has accomplished all these things, he declares it's finished. What is finished? The promises, all these prophecies finished because Matthew 5, 17, he did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it because you and I can't. What is finished? The justice of God for you and I. It's finished and poured out on him. The cup that he drank was the wrath of God for you and I, finished and satisfied. His father looks at the payment and it is complete. What else? What is finished, the grip of sin and death is finished for he is going to die and he's going to rise again. It is paid in full to tell us die, paid in full. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. For what the law was powerless to do awesome. God did by sending his son, but God did by sending his son, the flesh as a sin offering to declare an end to sin's control over you and I. Second Corinthians 5.22, write this one down. Second Corinthians 5.22, it says this, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for you and I, that we might be declared the righteousness of God in him. And so what I wanna talk about tonight, when he declares to tell us die, that he became the curse and redeemed us from the curse, here's what's going on, it's a very churchy word, that we realize there's no way for you and I by any of our works to get to God. The Bible's gonna say, and you've heard it probably, like, man, if I'm a good person, my, my good deeds just kinda like outweigh my bad deeds, then I'll be all right, right? Like, me and God will be good. Or if, like, if I haven't done enough, maybe I'll do a few things. That's, that's not how the Bible speaks about salvation. If anyone has sin, and who has sin? Romans 3.23, all, you, me. The wage of that, the payment for that is death, it's judgment. 
There's nothing we can do. And so what happens is through Jesus, we are justified. Justified. And here's the thing. We think that we are justified by God by good works. We think that we can get to God like, man, if I just do enough stuff, I go to church, I'm kind of like a good person, man. I can be justified before God. I can stand before him and be good. And the Bible's gonna go, no, you've got it all wrong. That's not how justification works. Justification is outside in. It works its way from the outside, from outside of you. You cannot save yourself. God steps in to rescue and to save this is going to be like a heart, and, and this is going to be like a cool stick figure dude and arms coming out of the heart. Oh, that was wonderful. What do y'all think of that? That's good there. Justification. It is finished. And I was reading this. I, I, I'm going to share this. This guy was talking about this. I don't know a lot about sheep. Anybody know a lot about sheep? Okay, so if you go to Scotland right now, this can still happen with like a ton. Like if you go somewhere and they have a lot of sheep, I want you to like check this out. This was so cool. Okay, I'm gonna read it because I don't wanna mess it up. If you go to Scotland or anywhere where there's a lot of sheep, sooner or later, you will see a little lamb running around the field with what looks like a cape or like an extra fleece tied to it. Like that would be really strange. Like to see a little sheep running around with a little sheep cape, you know? Uh, here's what that means. Usually they put holes and they, they kind of like, put it on it, but it means if they have this, it means that their mother has died. This is what it means. If, if a sheep is running around and it's got the little sheep cape on, uh, it just means that, that its mother's died. Without the protection and nourishment of a mother, an orphaned lamb will die. And if you try to introduce this orphan lamb to some other mother, the new mother will butt it away knowing it's not hers. She won't recognize the scent and she will know that the new baby is not one of her Lambs, And so what a shepherd does with flocks that are very large, usually there's a few sheep that don't make it and die. And they take the dead sheep, this, this is true, they like, literally do this, and they skin it. And they flip it, and that's what they put on the other lamb. The shepherd skins the dead lamb, makes a fleece into a covering for the orphan lamb. Then he takes the orphan lamb to the mother whose baby's just died. And when she sniffs the orphan lamb, she smells her own lamb. And instead of budding it away, she accepts it as her own and begins to mother it. This, this is it. This is the picture. Jesus lays down his life and does what you and I can't do. We are orphans. We are separated from God by our sin. And so Jesus comes, lays down his life. And it says that if anyone is in Christ, he becomes new. He becomes a new creation. We don't get justified by doing something great, trying to be like Jesus and, and hoping that God sees us and thinks we're like Jesus. No, no, no. We have to be covered in Jesus. And the way that we do that, the way that we are justified is by receiving it through faith. Justification is received. And it's received by the finished work of Jesus. It is complete to tell us die. Galatians 2.16, we know a person is not justified by the works of the law, but only through faith in Jesus. So we also believe in Jesus so that we would be justified by faith in Christ, not from works of the law because works of the law, no one is justified through them. 
Galatians 2.20, Paul declares, so I have been crucified with Christ. I am in him. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And what's amazing about the justification coming from the outside in is not that I have to earn my way to God, that I have to add something like Jesus did a lot, but like I need to do stuff too so God would love me. It is a finished work justified just as if I were Jesus. When God looks at me as justified, as I, as I put my faith in him, it's just as if I am Jesus. I have put him on and he sees me. And so he's like, this is how this plays out. You want to be literal. Jesus walked on the water. I'm like, walked on the water. Jesus stares the enemy in the face. Overcome sin. I've stared, I've stared him down. I've overcome. God sees the work of Jesus on me. Now we all know like, wait, there's, there's something there because I still sin and I don't, I don't, that's right. But we'll talk about sanctification in just a second because here's what sanctification is. Sanctification is inside out. And people get this wrong all the time. They think to, to be good, to be holy, I just change behavior. Like I just stop doing stuff and then I become the person God wants me to be. But the reality is the Bible's gonna say that it's actually God changing our heart and God goes after the heart and says, actually, I know you haven't committed adultery, but you have lust in your heart. And I wanna change that. I wanna shift that. And so the process of sanctification is just that. It's a process. Sanctification. I don't even know how to spell it. I know how to spell it till y'all are looking at me and then I like get all nervous and my handwriting's bad. This is a process. Justification is a moment. It's a reality changing moment. When Jesus declared it is finished and you've put your faith in him, in that moment, you can be saved. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved except Jesus. And here's what the amazing, amazing news is for all of us. Tim Keller says it this way. And I always love this quote. If y'all have it, throw it up there. Um, I'm like way out of order on my notes, but here's what it says. Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is two things simultaneously that are true of you. Of all of you, no matter the spectrum in here, some of y'all coming in here feeling unworthy of God. You're coming in like, I don't even know why I'm here. I shouldn't be here. I'm a fake. I'm a phony. I don't even know if God wants me here. And some of you are coming in. If you were to be honest, you're like, God loves me, man. I had a good week. Like I led someone to Jesus. I'm one of his favorites. Like you wouldn't say that, but like some of our posturing is that like me and God are good. But here's what the gospel says. Simultaneously that you are more sinful and flawed in yourself than you could dare believe. It's worse than you think. It is core level, your rebellion, your pride, your arrogance, your, your desire to drift away from God. You are more sinful and flawed in yourself than you dare believe. And simultaneously, you are at the very same time more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than you could ever dare hope. That's the gospel reality for us tonight. That God knows your past. That God knows what you've done. And the Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that God demonstrated his love that while you were in sin, Christ died for you. It wasn't when you cleaned yourself up and so God's good. So now I can justify you because now you've kind of earned it. No, 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 you were powerless. And so Jesus came and it's so beautiful that he lived the life that you and I couldn't live and lays it down and says, you can have it. You can have my life. I'll become sin so that you can take on righteousness. Second Corinthians 5.21. And so this happens. And so then out 
of this reality. Now, what we do is as we believe, we walk in transformation. God begins this process, his spirit lives in me. Now I begin this process of starting to look like Jesus, not so that God would love me. I don't go to church now so that I can be justified. I don't sing songs and if I lift my hand, God really loves the ones that lift their hands, right? So that God's cool with me. I go to church, I read the Bible, I try to be a good moral person, not to be accepted and justified, but because I already am. Do you see that difference? We live out sanctification from the identity of justified. To say, I'm a son, so now I'm gonna start acting like it. I'm not trying to become a son, I am one. You're not trying to become righteous in terms of God loving you, you're becoming righteous because God does love you and he's pouring his spirit out. Does that make sense? And so the process of sanctification, it's a big word for just meaning becoming like Jesus. Because all of you, many of you who've been saved, you know it wasn't like the next day. I'm like, dang, I'm like, I'm amazing, right? You still have problems. You still have tendencies. And God slowly works on those and works those desires out of you to start desiring him. You are more sinful and flawed in yourself than you dare believe. And at the very same time, you are more loved and accepted in Jesus than you could dare Imagine, we now have the freedom, students, we have the freedom to live from approval instead of for it. And so that, that's kind of what I wanna get to to end. Some of you, you've heard the gospel, you know the good news, but let's get real. What does it really mean right now that you're justified? Because I think we think, oh, the gospel, yeah, yeah, that's the thing that kind of gets me into faith. And then we kind of move on to like different things. That is not it. The gospel is not like jumper cables that gets the car going. The gospel is the engine of your life that you and I would dive deeper and deeper into what it means that God would love me enough to, to take my place. And now that he's living in me and he is changing me, what does that mean? Justified means this, when you come into this room tonight because this week was a bad week and you kind of feel guilty and you kind of feel some shame. You know, I mean, I don't know, like maybe I need to do something so that I can get back with God we look back at the gospel and say, no, 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 you are justified because it's not your performance that God loves you for. It's Jesus's performance that God loves you for. And Jesus's performance is done, meaning you can't add to it. You can't do more stuff. Well, I know Jesus walked on water, but I did an hour quiet time today, God. I'm adding, right? Like that's ridiculous. No, I did an hour quiet time today because of God changed my life and I wanna know him and I wanna love him and I want him to be pleased with me because he has saved me. It's a whole different mentality. And so we are justified. Maybe, maybe when I feel like I have no right to be in God's presence, maybe when I'm remembering past shame, I remember I am justified. And so I wanna leave you with something. This is out of J.D. Greer's book. He has this thing called the gospel prayer. And I just love this because it's four realities that you can pray every day because we don't move on from the gospel. We swim in it. We live in it. And some of you, you need to know today, even though you know the gospel, that there's nothing I can do today to make God love me more. That's this playing out. I'm, I'm accepted. I'm approved through Jesus so I can, I can live freely for him. But it also means there's nothing that I've done that has disqualified me from the love of God either. That's how the gospel works. So the very first one, the very first gospel prayer is this, that in Christ, there is nothing I can do today to make you love me more. And some of you, you need to sit in that reality. 
in Christ. There's nothing I can do that would make you love me more. And there's nothing that I have done that makes you love me less. And some of you, you really, if you were to admit it, you are sitting in shame from your past. And you got to hear this if this is true. There's nothing that I have done that would make you love me less because you died for me while I was in sin. And some of us, we need to sit in this reality. We need to let it sink in from our head to our heart and let it shift and stir us. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. Number two, your presence and your approval are all I need for everlasting joy. Your presence and your approval are all I need. So many of us, if we're honest, we are still, it's like, yeah, I love Jesus. I know I'm good with God, but every, I don't know if I have everyone else's approval. I don't know if I'm good with everyone else and I need it and I fear it. And God wants to free you from the need to be approved by everyone else because you are approved by God. You can now live secure, not insecure. The gospel brings security to you because he's saying you're approved. You're in. In Jesus, you're in. So it's his presence. And I get to have his presence because when he sees me, he sees Jesus and Jesus is welcome. He's the high priest's body torn in two, the curtain torn so that I could have access to God. So I get to be in his presence. Number three, this is where sanctification works its way out. That as you have done for me, as you have been for me, I want to be for others. As you have loved me, I wanna love others. As you have forgiven me, I wanna release others and forgive them. As you've been so kind to me and faithful to me, I wanna be that for others. Not so that I would be approved but because I am God, I wanna just reciprocate. Has anyone ever done something really nice for you? Like just the other day, I was, uh, I don't support Starbucks and all that, all that, you know, I'm just kidding. But I'm in the Starbucks line, don't judge. And the dude in front of me pays for me. It, I like pull up to the window, like uh, someone already, the person in front of me, I don't know if they're a church member, one of y'all, if you do that, if you see me, I drive a white truck. Anytime <laughs> you just wanna pay for me, I appreciate that, okay? Wonderful. But he pays for me, what do I wanna do? What do I instantly want to do? I want to pay for the next one. But I'm like, how many do they order? How many drinks? Just kidding, no. That, that's how it works. That's how God's wired you. So as God has been to me, I will do for others. And then as you pray, I love this. When I pray to God and I'm nervous about that prayer, I don't know how it's going to go. I will measure your compassion for me. In my situation, I'll measure it by the cross. If there's any proof that God is for your life and for you to have life abundantly, it's the cross. So I will measure your compassion by the cross and I will measure your power by the resurrection. That's good right there, isn't it? That's good. And this is the prayer. Um, Throw up that QR code. I made a little lock screen. If you want to QR code this, it's just going to take you to like an image of this prayer from, from the bridge. And if you want to make that your lock screen, just this week to live in the reality of the gospel, to be reminded daily, man, like, I don't have to do anything today to make you love me. I'm I'm like waking up loved by you. And I'm not disqualified because in Jesus, I'm accepted. And number two, like when I have your presence and your approval, I don't need anything else today. I have everything I need in Jesus. And I need to remember that because there's times where I'm like, Jesus, but I also kind of need this or I'll kind of want this. And so I need to live in this reality of the gospel. And I need to be reminded that the gospel moves me out to think of others because I'm not so concerned with myself and trying to do something because God's already done it. And I wanna be a person that prays and trusts the compassion and the power of God. 
And I want us to think about this declaration, this new reality that Jesus has said over you and I, that it can be finished for you. No more striving. No more trying to earn something that God already wants to give you. No more trying to cover up your past and your shame and trying to overcompensate for the mistakes you've made because Jesus is gonna look at you tonight and say, it's finished. It's why I came. It's why I died. Not so that you wouldn't think it's enough. So why don't you, why don't you own up to it? Why don't you confess and receive what I've already given you? Why don't you let go of this stuff in your past? Why don't you let go of these sins that are still holding you right now? Because it is finished. I have freed you. And so some of you tonight who know Jesus and are walking with him, you need to just remember this tonight. You need to remember the gospel and respond to it in worship.